All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 28. It's good to see folks continuing to come in, and so we praise the Lord for that. It's a blessing. And uh, it seems like every week a few more come, and that's always encouraging. Uh, and so as we kind of find our way together through all of this uh, pandemic and its aftermath, and so uh, we're still forging ahead, and so we praise the Lord for it. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to begin here in verse number 1 and read down through uh, verse number 9. The Bible says here, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, Come and see. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would... Meet with us in a special way. I'm so grateful that you promised to do just that when we gather in the name of our Savior. Lord, we know that you're here with us. And Lord, I pray that you would have a special work in our hearts today. Uh, Lord, just so often we come together and uh, the cares of life and the world and all the things that are going on around us can steal our thoughts and steal uh, our ability to concentrate. I pray that you'd help us to be focused this morning. I pray that you'd help our children to uh, Lord, to be able to be settled so that their folks, their parents can enjoy the service and have open hearts to be spoken to. Lord, I pray that you would help us to convey the word that you've given us this morning now. In Jesus' name, and amen. <clears throat> we look here uh, and get started this morning. I, one of the things that is kind of a struggle for, I think, most pastors during this time, if we're not careful, we can just get all caught up in everything that's going on politically and everything that's going on uh, medically in the country and neglect other areas of life. And on the other hand, you don't want to uh, neglect the needs that those things pose. And so uh, we're always praying and seeking the Lord's direction. But in times like these, it seems like it's even more important. And, uh, and looking forward to <clears throat> getting into the message this morning, I realized that uh, the last couple of weeks in our country have been very tumultuous, to say the least. And so there's still a lot of things that are going on and are going to continue to go on. And so how do, I, how do I as a Christian respond to that? How do I as a pastor respond to that? How should we as a church respond to these issues? And then on top of that, you have all of the, the things with the, the disease and the pandemic and all of the, the outliers there. Uh, and so we want to respond essentially the way that the Lord would respond to, to problems and things that came up. And in this text this morning, I think that when we look at it in its entirety and we have the, we have the benefit of knowing everything that led into it and we have the benefit of knowing everything that took place afterward more so even than, uh, than the writers did and certainly more so than the disciples did as they went through this with the Lord. 
and so I think there's much here that can be helpful and that we can glean from uh, as we move into this this morning. And so as we look there, I think that there are even in a lot of ways some parallels of what's going on as, uh, as in our political climate today and uh, spiritually in our lives to what's happening here in this text in the scripture. Uh, when we look here and we look back, the Lord is raising from the grave of course and they're coming to the tomb and as they come there's the earthquake and the stones rolled away and the angel is there and speaks to them and he says really three things to them that are very profound they really could be uh, a standalone message I think but I think that it's important to understand that uh, to get the context of the bigger picture here uh, and so and I want to point those things out and then we're going to just kind of go through some of the events of the day and then uh, look at three primary uh, points of application to our life and but if we don't understand uh, these three statements or these three thoughts then it makes it more difficult to assimilate the other things into our life I want you to notice in verse number six where they come to the tomb and the angel speaks he is not here for he has risen as he said as he said, come see the place. Come and see. And so one of the things that we need to do whenever we get in a place where maybe our hearts are troubled, where our emotions are running high, where, uh, where maybe we have physical infirmities. We've had a lot of people through this that, not have had, that have not had COVID, but they've had other major medical things that have been going on. Others have had minor uh, procedures and surgeries and things that have gone on. But we've had at least four or five folks in the last few weeks that have had some type of issues like that. There are some that are uh, having to make life and death decisions for family members and uh, there, there's going to be grieving going on if not immediately soon and uh, all of those things emotionally that, that we have to cope with and deal with in life. It's important that in the midst of that that we do it in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord and in a way that God can use to encourage others, to strengthen others, to lift up others maybe that are discouraged or downtrodden, downcast. Uh, and so how do I do that? So how do I go through and face all of these things? And so as we look at it, what is the command here from the angel? It's come and see. I wrote in the bulletin article this week about in the verse in Psalm that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that really is the essence of, of what he's saying here when he says, come and see. I, I can read about a lot of things. I can hear a lot of things uh, by the grapevine. I can, uh, I can take in a lot from the news, but there's just not anything like coming to the place and seeing what's going on. And so when they come ready to tend to the Lord's body, uh, ready to come on that third day. And isn't it interesting that they waited till the third day before they came to take care of his body? That Joseph of Arimathea got him and they put him in the tomb, but they didn't come immediately on the next day. I mean, you would think that uh, they would have just come right away and taken care of that, maybe even before the tomb was sealed. But you had all of the political problems that were going on surrounding the Lord's death and, uh, and crucifixion. And, and you had the fear uh, of, of the disciples, and, and we'll see that in a moment. And so as we look and we, uh, and we rehearse this, he, he says to them, come and see. So they, they waited till the third day. Uh, after the third days when corruption would set in, and so we knew the Lord's body could not see corruption, so they had heard that prophecy. I don't know that they really understood its application fully at this point, but, uh, but they came on the third day, and when they came, they found that the tomb was open. Uh, the Lord was gone, and the message was, don't take my word for it, come and see. 
Uh, an angel ought to be enough for us to take his word. But he said, listen, just, just come and see. The next statement that he makes is this in verse number seven. And go quickly and tell his disciples. So he says, first off, come and see. And then he says, go and tell. I'm not supposed to come and see. I'm not supposed to come. And come and see is more than just come and take a look-see. It's, it's come and experience. It's come and enter in. It's come uh, and partake of the moment. Uh, when I come and see, my next natural response and his command is to go and tell. Now, I said, that's great, Pastor. That's, that's outreach. That's soul winning. That's, uh, and, and yes, it is. I'm not arguing that it's not, but it's so much more than that. Because really what he's saying is you stop and you think about the context of what they're experiencing here. They are grief stricken. They are heartbroken. They are overwhelmed by what's been taking place. And so what is his instruction? Come and see and then go and tell. Go and tell what? Go and tell that the Lord lives. Go and tell that there's hope. Go and tell that there's strength. Go and tell that there's power. Go and tell that there's answer to prayer. Go and tell. Go and tell. In other words, when I have some issue in my life, when, whether things are wonderful or whether I'm struggling, whether it's about work or whether it's about financial problems or whether it's about health or whether it's about, uh, about the political climate or it's about family issues, whatever it's about, when there's an issue, come to the Lord and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good in everything. And then go and tell. You know what people that are really downtrodden today need? They need someone that God has touched their life and lifted them up to go and tell them that God helped me through this and he'll help you through it too. And they're not telling them just from a standpoint of, hey, that sounds good, or this verse was an encouragement to me. They're telling them from the standpoint of, I've experienced this, and God's grace was real, and God's power was real, and God ministered to my soul, and God lifted my spirits, and he'll do the same for you. Come and see, go and tell. Notice what he says next. And it's just something about, when I've come and I've seen an experience and then I go and I tell that a whole new level of enlightenment happens within my heart. Uh, there's something about, uh, you know, knowing uh, to uh, just in the, in the standpoint of sharing the, our faith. If I know that I should share my faith and I've come and I've seen, I've experienced salvation and God has saved me. And then I go and tell when I'm able to go and tell someone and then they, because of my witness, trust Jesus as their Savior. That is a whole different level of enlightenment in my own heart and mind. I have experienced this. Now I'm telling you about it. Now you experience it and it does something for me. Now notice what he's saying here when they, they come to the tomb uh, in, verse, in verse 7. And so and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Come and see, go and tell, and you will see. And so when we look and we consider the context now of what's going on here, Jesus is not... Uh, coming to them and him them bowing down at his feet and worshiping him uh, from, from a place where uh, everything that he's experienced in the last several weeks has been wonderful. He's, he has literally been to the depths of hell 
suffered on the cross. And so we're not going to back all the way up to the crucifixion here or to the to the birth of Christ, really, uh, at least not initially. We will talk about it just for a moment later. But uh, but this is back up to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the upper room before they go to the garden. They're in the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. And Jesus is keenly and painfully aware of everything that he's going to experience in the next 24 to 36 hours. There's no doubt in his mind. There's no wonderment. There's no, uh, there's no mystery. He knows what's coming to the, to the detail. He wrote the script whenever he authored the, the word of God. The prophecies are there. There's no mystery to him. But to everyone else, they don't know what's going on. And even though he's told them what's going on, they have not connected the dots. And as they go through this process, I think you could say that the dots are becoming more evident and you know, the numbers are being illuminated so that they can start to connect them and put things together. But the reality is, is that they are kind of bewildered and confused. And so they're in the upper room and Jesus is washing their feet and they partake of the Lord's Supper and he's giving instruction and and as he sits there at the table, he looks across at the one that will betray him and sends him out to do, uh, to, to do his deed, to do his betrayal. And then they get up from the room and they leave the room. And leaving the room and moving to the Garden of Gethsemane, those are not wasted steps. That is not an idle walk. It is not a leisure walk, though they're uh, not at a, uh, at a fast pace. It is a time of great instruction. Uh, if you look at the Gospel of John, uh, there are several chapters that encompass uh, the, the time in the upper room to the crucifixion. And uh, all of chapter 15 is this walk from the Garden of at least the beginning, the, 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 uh, the I am the vine, here are the branches. All that's given as they're walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in his heart and in his mind, he knows that he is not going to leave that garden in the same way in which he entered. That he's not leaving it with his men in peace, that he's leaving it, uh, that he's leaving it in custody uh, and on his way to an, er an erroneous and fallacious trial to face false accusations. Uh, and he knows that he'll be betrayed there. So he goes to the garden, and in the garden, uh, the beginning of the weight of our sin begins to oppress him. And before the first blow is stricken, before the first lash of the cat of nine tails, before the crown of thorns, before the first uh, hit to the head, uh, is already his bleeding. Bleeding from the broken heart and the oppression, the weight of our sin, as he, in prayer, begins to sweat blood. He's going through an enormous trial to the point that he uh, go, cries out to God and says, Father, if there's any other way, I knew what was coming, but going through it, if there's another way, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. You know, so many times in life, life throws us things that are difficult. Life throws us things that are hard. Life throws us things that are overwhelming. And our response should be the response of the Lord. Lord, if there's any other way, but if this is your will, then I know that you're going to give me the grace to go through it. I know that you're going to give me the grace to endure it. So he deals with that betrayal. He's there with the men. He's prayed. He's enduring this. And then Judas comes. And when, I don't know about you, but if Judas comes and I know he's betrayed me and then he betrays me, the last thing that I want to think in my mind about him is that this man is friend. But what's Jesus' response? My response would be off with his head. But Jesus' response is, friend. Not only is he betrayed by Judas, but he's abandoned by his men. Not one stood with him. They all fled. 
they all scattered. Smite the shepherd. And the flock is scattered. And they scatter and he feels now the emotions of abandonment. And by the way, when, when sin enters the scene, this is what it brings. The first may all be glam and glory, but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it bleeds to betrayal and abandonment and accusation. Now, in Jesus' case, the accusations are false. And we see them now go from the garden to the trials. And he, through the night, is illegally tried. Uh, and then into the morning, he's uh, tried again, and the accusations are, are fallacious. No, there's no truth to them. Uh, but it doesn't matter if there's truth or not. It matters that the mob get what, gets what it wants. Sound familiar to the news today? And what matters here is that Jesus is responding in kind, and then he's absorbing the beating, the ridicule, the mocking, the suffering. The crown of thorns and in artist depictions, you see the crown of thorns is just being these little stubs. I have one in my office that's it's got thorns about yay long, and that probably is not even as long as they could possibly have been. They didn't set it gently. They were brutal. They were antagonizing. They were trying to punish. They would have rammed it down to the point where the thorns would have pierced the skin and glanced off the skull and pierced back out. The cat of nine tails with its barbs of metal and bone and glass lashing against his back would have peeled away strips of flesh and skin so it's very likely that his ribs were exposed. Then they put the robe back on him so that the blood would clot and then when they get there they just rip it back off and reopen all of the wounds and the suffering and Isaiah describes his face and his head as being his visage being marred so great that it could not even be, he could not even be recognized as a human being. And uh, people that work with great trauma and great trauma can tell you when there's tremendous head wounds uh, that a head can swell to almost the size of a basketball and the person become unrecognizable. And it's likely that Jesus suffered a like trauma. The cross slammed into the hole in the ground to the point where many believe that it dislocated the joints of his body, the very joints that he would have had to pull up with and push with to just draw a breath. Death on the cross was brutal in every sense of the word, but the most punishing thing is that you didn't even die from the wounds. You died from suffocation when you lost the strength to lift yourself up to get a breath. You know the amazing thing is, is that he could have at any moment, said, enough. He could have at any moment said they're not worth it. He could have at any moment said this is too high a price. And it's amazing to me, I go back and I kind of rehearse this in my mind and, and think about it. I'm thinking, you know, if I was God and I knew at creation what mankind was going to do, I don't think I would bother. I, I really don't think that I would go through. I mean, he wanted us to, to, to walk with him, to fellowship with him, uh, to have that sweet spirit with him, to love him, to accept his love and his goodness. And we didn't even make it past the first creatures of creation. They, they didn't, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned. But they didn't have children while they were there. They didn't make it too long, and yet he deemed us worthy. He deemed us worth the price that he was going to have to pay. 
And at any point he could have said, you're not putting that crown on my hand and you're not lashing that against my back one more time and you're not going to put me on that cross. And if, he, and if he didn't have the strength and power, which he did on his own, he could have called for the angels to come and render him aid. But he didn't. Why? And really the reason is very simple. It's because he loves us. Can you imagine loving someone so much, loving the creation so much, loving what you knew would... Uh, and other, the, the few of us that find Christ throughout history relative to the amount of people that live upon the earth, uh, overwhelmingly more reject Him than accept Him. He deemed that those few of us worth the price, though He paid the debt for all men. Now, as we look at this this morning and think, in His suffering... In the weight of his sin, in his absorbing the beating, in his going through the false accusations and the trials and being wrongfully convicted, in his life being given on the cross of Calvary, what is the response? The response is, come and see, go and tell, and you will see. Now I want you to consider three thoughts about this this morning. We talk about what are we coming to see? Because we all go through these things at some point, way or form in our lives. We all were going to, at one point or another, in, uh, endure a time of, uh, of weighty prayer needs and uh, abandonment. Uh, we at all are going to time and feel times that we've been betrayed. We're all going to be at times falsely accused. We, uh, we all at one point in time are going to have to endure and suffer some type of infirmity or affliction. Uh, though granted it's not likely to be as severe as what he went through on the cross. It's, a, uh, it's still an affliction. How am I to respond? What is it that I am to do? Uh, and I would say first of all this morning that the message that's given to him them here in Matthew chapter 28 is this. Come and see a loving Savior. What do I do when my heart is broken? What do I do when I'm afflicted? What do I do when I'm under attack? What do I do when, uh, when my life has fallen apart? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Come and see that Jesus loves you. He loves you. Whether you're sick, whether you're failing in your Christian life, whether you're doing well in your life, uh, He loves us. The Bible says in John chapter 15 uh, and verse number 13, uh, the Bible tells us there, greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. There can be no doubt this morning. Listen, I can doubt a lot of things in this world and I can doubt a lot of things in life, but there's one thing that I can never doubt and that's that Jesus loves me. He loves you. He cares about us no matter what we're going through. He cares about us no matter how well uh, or poorly we're doing in the Christian life. In John chapter 10, in verse number 15, uh, he tells us this. He said, as the, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Then he describes the Gentile church. And what a wonderful truth it is to know that no matter what I face, I can come and see that Jesus is a loving Savior. How do I know that? Because love brought him to the earth. Love brought him here. As I mentioned, it was, a, it was a creation that was perfect in its beauty. It was perfect in everything that God wanted it to be. And he knew that when he put us here that we were going to ruin it quickly. But yet, love brought him to earth. 
Love caused him to get up off of his throne and to come down. And not only did love bring him to the earth, because he came to the earth in the Old Testament. I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't manifest himself in the Old Testament in Christophanies uh, and, and meet with different ones temporarily. And he would come and he would meet and he would go. Sometimes the Bible describes him as an angel. It doesn't necessarily say that it was Jesus. I believe personally that it was Jesus in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I believe it was Jesus that closed the mouth of the lions in the, in the, in the lion's den. Uh, I believe believe in those that the men that came uh, to uh, to Abraham at Sodom that one of them was Christ I, I just that you can disagree with me on that if you like and that's okay uh, that's my that's my personal uh, opinion from years of study of the scripture and uh, and going through that, that, that there's no doubt that at times Jesus revealed himself in the Old Testament uh, he came to earth but but at his birth it was more than that at his birth, he did not just come to earth, he put on humanity. He clothed himself, he robed himself in human flesh. He became a man so that he could say that I have, in all, I have been tempted in all forms such as you are and I'm yet without sin. So that he could say, I have been touched with a feeling of your infirmities. So that he could say, I am your example in all things. I have been through what you've been through. I've experienced what you've experienced. I've suffered like you suffer. I've hurt like you've hurt. I've been abandoned and I've been lonely like you've been abandoned and are lonely. Whatever it is that we face, Jesus has faced it. And been an example in it. Love brought him to earth. But more than that, love made him to become flesh. And to walk amongst us. A Savior that loves us so much that he experiences what we've experienced. And then uh, I would say thirdly that love took Jesus to the cross. He did not go to the cross simply because he didn't have anything better to do. He didn't go to the cross because, uh, because he uh, just wanted to experience suffering. He went to the cross and he became our sin and he endured the shame, despising, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame for one reason. It was for the joy that was set before him and the joy that set before him was you and I in Christ Jesus. It was love. Love brought him to the cross. Love caused him to want to reconcile man to God, want him to reconcile creation to the creator, wanted to show and demonstrate that God's mercy and God's grace could redeem the soul of a fallen wicked man and restore him to his previous state. Love took Jesus to the cross. Not only that, I would say this morning that love lifted Jesus from the grave. Amen. That he got up out of the grave for you and for me. It w listen, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus died on the cross and went uh, and gave his life on the cross and went to the tomb to pay for our sin. But had he not risen from the grave, it wouldn't have mattered. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. No one part of the story is less important than the other. Without a virgin birth, there's no salvation. Without his death and burial, there is no salvation. Without his resurrection, there is no uh, completed payment for our sin and victory over uh, death and hell. And what we see this morning is simply this, that Jesus Christ, in spite of all of our sin, loves us and his love lifted him from the grave. Not only that, his love makes intercession for us. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for us on our behalf when we can't and don't even know how to pray for ourselves at times. And he said in John chapter 14 that if I, if I go away, I will prepare a place for you and will receive you unto myself. He promises in that passage to come again. 
At some point, he's coming back. And he's in this, in the meantime, he's doing two things. He's preparing a place for us, and he's praying for us. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for you? If it, you know, if, you, if you're going to get in a place where you think, I wonder if anybody in this world is praying for me. Maybe they're not, but Jesus is. He loves us. Love makes intercession for us. Not only that, love brings Jesus, will bring Jesus back to receive us again. He promised to come back. He will return. He will receive his bride. He will receive the church unto himself. He will uh, be glorified and honored. Uh, and he does all of that because of love. When you're going through a hard time, when you don't know how things are going to turn out, when you don't know the answers to life's most critical problems, what is the answer? What is the right thing to do? Come and see that your Savior loves you. The world hates you. Uh, things may fall apart around you, but in the midst of all of it, there is a Savior who loves you. Secondly, this morning, I would say this, come and see a living Savior. The fact that Jesus loves is meaningless if he's not alive. Now, I, don't like to, I don't like to use the term and say like religion because I believe that religion is a mechanism of man that, that has that, that condemned a lot of people to hell. This is not about religion. It's about a relationship with a living God. But I understand the terminology in the context of society. But the reality is, is that we are the only faith or religion, if you want to identify us that way, in the world that can truthfully stand up and say that the God that we serve is alive. Historical evidence supports the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. The witness and the testimony of those that were reputable, faithful witnesses demonstrates that Jesus rose from the grave. And if that weren't enough, the word of God testifies and the spirit of God testifies. And God himself has testified that my son rose from the grave. He's alive. We're not worshiping a statue. We're not worshiping a carving. We're not worshiping an ancestor. We're not worshiping a figment uh, of someone's imagination floating around in the universe somewhere. We worship a living, literal risen Savior. He is our God. He is our creator. He is uh, the one who loves us. And what that means is that Jesus is life. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that life is in the blood and he gave his blood that we might have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is life. Not only is he life, but, but, the, but the tomb bears witness of that and the fact uh, that it's empty. And we read that in our text, but Luke chapter 24 and verses 2 and 3 uh, say it this way. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Not only did they find the tomb empty and not find the body of the Lord Jesus, but they found Jesus himself alive and speaking to them. They came and they held his feet and they worshiped him. Not only this morning can I say that we can come and see a living Savior uh, who is alive, who is evidenced that by uh, an empty tomb, but we serve this morning a Savior who has defeated death and hell because death and hell have been defeated. In Revelation 1 and verse 17 and 18, the Apostle John wrote, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore amen and have the keys of hell and death he lives this morning 
Whatever our problem, whatever our burden, whatever our heartache, however we succeed or fail in the Christian life, we serve a God that not only loves us, but that is alive and well and governing everything that's going on. The third thing that I would say this morning that we need to come and see is this. We need to come and see that we serve a longing Savior. He is not a distant Savior. He is not an absentee Savior. He is a Savior that longs to be with you. He's one who longs to fellowship with you. He longs to commune with you. He longs to hear from you. He longs to be a part of your life. He longs for you to be a part of his life. He longs for you to be a part of the process of sharing him with a world that needs him so desperately around us. And what I'm saying this morning, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that of all that we've talked about this morning, that Jesus longs to save your soul. It all starts with the saving of our soul. It all starts with giving our heart to Christ. It all starts with acknowledging that I have sinned against God and that sin has become a divider between God and I. And because of that position, I am lost eternally, uh, separated from God. But his love and mercy uh, has found me and has sought me. And if I will seek him and put my faith in him, then he will give me grace to trust him as Savior and become my Lord and my God. And we look and we understand, he says here, uh, come and see that the Savior longs to save you. In Luke chapter number 19 uh, and verse number uh, 10. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He is not seeking uh, for those who are just randomly wandering. He is looking for those that are lost and he's seeking them out that he might make a difference in their life, that he might change their life, that he might uh, be the one that sets their course on a new and path of life and soul of eternity on a new direction. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward uh, that and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants every man to give their heart to him, to come to him in faith, to put their trust in him. He longs to save the lost. Not only that, he longs to know us. He longs to get to know us on a personal level. Say, well, Pastor, God knows everything about me. Jesus knows everything about me. Yes, he does. Uh, but he wants to enter into a close relationship. I can know a lot of details about somebody. I can read a, a bio that's, that's really in-depth and get all the details and pertinent facts of someone's life, even intimate knowledge. But that doesn't mean I know them. He wants to know us personally, closely. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Understand the importance of that verse. It's not just about salvation, though it certainly alludes to that. It's about a deep personal relationship. Come and sup with me. Come and sit down to eat with me. Come and sit down and share your heart with me. Come and sit down and let me share my heart with you. Come and sup with me. Come and be with me. Come and let me care for your needs and let me heal your wounds and let me uh, help your life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, we see that he longs to bless us. He says, I have come that you have, not, that you have life, but that you have it more abundantly. And an abundant life doesn't necessarily mean a financially prosperous life. It means a Jesus prosperous life. 
And he may choose to allow us to suffer at times. He may choose and may need for us to be willing to go through adversity and hard times on occasion that we might be a testimony and a witness to others that need to understand that if they'll come and see Jesus, they'll find help and comfort for their soul. That if they'll taste and see, they'll see that the Lord is good. And we come and see this morning that we need to come and see a longing Savior, a Savior that longs to save your soul, a Savior that longs to know you on a close and personal level, a Savior that wants to bless you in a way that's unimaginable, to bless us with answered prayer, to bless us with grace, to endure the trials that come into life, a Savior this morning that's longing to use you. A Savior that wants to empower you to make a difference in the lives of others. A Savior that wants to entrust you, his gospel, uh, to give and share with others. John chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. As I've loved the world, you love the world. As I've loved the one that betrayed me, you love those that have betrayed you or betrayed me. As I've forgiven, you forgive. If I've aided and helped, you aid and help. Jesus says, I've given you this example and I want you to do this. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm alive and well. And I want you to know that I long to be in a deep, intimate, personal relationship with you. Now, would you come and see? Would you come and see my love? Would you come and see that I'm alive? Would you come and see the results of that close relationship you have? Wonderful. Now go and tell. Go and tell. Because when you go and tell what Jesus has done for you, it is empowering. When you go and tell others what Jesus has done for you, it is enlightening, not only to them, but to you. When you go and tell others, it authenticates the message of the gospel. It authenticates that message in their heart, but it also authenticates that message in your heart. I can't tell you how many people have come to know Christ and uh, really got busy serving the Lord and, and then years down the road they get hurt, they get wounded and they're not serving God anymore and they've lost faith. They haven't lost their salvation but they've lost their zeal for God or their passion for God or they've lost uh, their ability to say, uh, you know, God, I can endure the things that you've allowed into my life uh, that you want to use in my life. It's just been more than I could uh, bear. But when we bear it and when we experience the grace of God and the power of God and the love of God and we go and we tell others, it authenticates in our own heart that God is a love, alive and loves and empowers us to do his will. There's just something about sharing with others. And I'm not talking about just the, the fact and the matter here of sharing the gospel. It's more than that. It's about sharing your Christian experience. There is somebody that you know that's a brother or sister in Christ that they just, they're just down. They're, just, they're going through a hard time. What do they need? They need someone that has come and seen to remind them that Jesus loves them. 
someone that's discouraged, someone that's depressed, someone that's going through difficult times, someone whose marriage is in trouble, someone who's having financial, well, what do they need this morning? They need someone that knows and walks with the Lord to come to them and to remind them that there is a God in heaven and his name is Jesus and he's sitting on his throne and he's praying for you and he loves you and he's demonstrated that love for you and he'll empower you and he'll give you the grace that you need. And I have experienced it in my life and now I'm telling you about it and I'm not just telling you about something that I read. I'm not just passing off to you a book or a story that encouraged me. I'm telling you about how in my life in a time when I had great need that I came to Jesus and I saw, I tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good and he is not dead. He has not gone to sleep. He is alive and he is well and he is longing to share his love with you. He's longing to lift your broken heart. He's longing to heal your broken life. He's, will, he's longing uh, to, uh, to restore your fallen soul. He's, he's longing uh, to, uh, to go through life with you and engaging with you to make a difference in the lives of others. What I'm saying this morning is this. That no matter what you're going through today, no matter what life has dealt you, no matter how confused life may be right now, no matter how confused and desperate our country has gotten, uh, no matter what we face medically and the things that are in the aftermath of, uh, of a pandemic and all the things that we do, there's one thing in the midst of everything that we can always do, and that's to come and see, to come and see that Jesus loves you, to come and see that Jesus is alive and to come and see that he wants to be close to you. Would you come and see this morning? And if you've seen and when you see, will you covenant in your heart with him to be obedient and to go and tell? Because when you do go and tell, then you shall see. You shall see how real he is, how powerful he is, how loving he is, how passionate he is, and what a difference his word can make in the lives of the world around us.